We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Away the fine china and put the plastic on the furniture because we've got some wretched, filthy neighbors coming for Sunday dinner. This is the Arsenal Vision pre-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. This is a pre-match podcast, but it's not just any pre-match podcast. It is a pre-Darby podcast. We are talking North London Derby, and we will be doing that with Clive and Paul. But also, before they come on, we'll be doing that with Amy Lawrence. Uh, and we are so excited that she's going to be on the show momentarily. But we'll do just a little housekeeping first. And the first housekeeping is just to thank you. Um, we thank you a lot because we appreciate you. But in this case, I want to thank you because hundreds of you signed up for The Athletic using our promotion. And that's theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal Vision. Gets you a month free. And then $250, $250 a month for the subscription. No pop-ups, no banner ads, none of that stuff. Just good content from great people like James and, of course, Amy and David Ornstein signing on. And Rafa Benitez. Rafa Benitez writes for them. But, but that's not the point. I want to say thank you, and part of this promotion was that we were going to have the ability to talk to some wonderful people that work for The Athletic, and so this is the first example of that, as Amy is going to be here momentarily. So most importantly, we want to thank you. If you have any questions about it, you can certainly go ahead uh, and reach out to us, and we'd be happy to answer them. If you want to sign up for Patreon, we did a Schadenfreude podcast the other day. Uh, definitely good to do that right before the Derby. That can't blow up in our face, but basically a podcast celebrating the pain and suffering of our rivals. Uh, and you can listen to that. You can certainly join us in the Discord for chats all day, every day. And we've got lots more on tap after the Derby and for the international break that is unfortunately coming next week. All right, well, enough about that. Now on to the exciting part. We're going to talk about the Derby with Amy Lawrence from The Athletic. Of course, you can follow her on Twitter at AmyLawrence71. Hello, Amy. Hi, Elliot. Good to be with you. 
Yeah, it's it's lovely to have you back on the podcast. It's been too long, but we have an exciting uh, opportunity to talk about the Derby now. And I think before we even get started with that, since we haven't spoken to you since the summer, you know, I, I think going into the summer, there were a lot of people that weren't feeling too great about the club and its direction, but some of the transfer business really turned things around. So I guess just the first question is, how has this summer maybe changed your level of excitement and, and anticipation for this season? Uh, that's a, a great question. And, and I think that gauging the temperature of, uh, of, of the vibes around the club is a kind of ever-changing feast. And um, I definitely had this feeling, uh, not just from my own perceptions, but all the people that I speak to. And I happen to live you know, bang in the neighbourhood. So lots of people around here are Arsenal fans or, or at least take a big interest in the club. And kind of early summer, let's just say <laughs> there was quite a lot of misery. I, I, and I heard so many people whinging about, oh God, I don't want to renew my season ticket and why we're bothering and, oh, it's going to be more of the same. And a kind of real downbeat uh, atmosphere. And the contrast was almost risible with the week the week uh leading up to the first game of season where all of a sudden like the phone is red hot with people uh, wondering if there's tickets and oh my god I can't miss the first game and I'm dying to see the team and I look at all these signings and that you know I think we're all at the mercy of being a bit childlike about transfers it's a bit cr- kind of christmas time and you wake up and are excited to see if there's going to be any good gifts like a kid in in your stocking and you know in a way you shouldn't be so uh driven by that determining how you feel about your football club or your hopes for the season but it does have an impact and the fact that the expectation was low people didn't think there was money to spend people worried that there was going to be a a a really big sale that that was going to be someone that was popular and uh, you know there was there wasn't really this this feeling that that Arsenal were going into the the window with a with a big plan to be ambitious. So, come the end of the window, um, the quality of the of the players that have come in, uh, particularly the excitement around Pepe is obvious. And anybody who watched that Liverpool game, you can argue all you like about whether it would have been a different game had he scored. But I just saw so many moments where it was you know getting someone off the edge of their seat stuff where he went on a run and you felt your 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 heart beating faster straight away and he's just an you know a a bowl of excitement really um and then Danny Sebao obviously had a fantastic home debut a difficult time at Anfield but looks like he's he's going to have games where he really enjoys playing maybe some are going to be a bit tougher than than he expected and it's going to be fascinating to see how he adapts to that even Martinelli people I know at the club have mentioned that he's really exciting in training and he probably is a bit raw and needs a bit more time, but has got something about him that people like. Uh, Tierney can't wait to see exactly the kind of defender I think Arsenal's been crying out for for years. Um, Saliba, again, can't wait to see maybe in a year's time, but these are all things that get people excited. The David Luiz one is a slightly different case where there was a needs-must situation with Koscielny and I think the club sort of did as best they could in that situation. But yeah, let's it, it's transformed the mood. Of course it has. Mm. And but like all these things that the mood is is one thing, but you know, results are the biggest determinating factor 
And, uh, you know, this weekend's quite large from that point of view. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. And I mean, look, there are a lot of teams that are going to be brought back down to earth by Liverpool, especially at Anfield. But I, I'm wondering how you feel about the way Emery has to approach the Derby. I mean, from what I'm reading, and again, this could be mind games, who knows, but there's a chance that Serge Aurier won't be available and Dombele won't be available. available. No Deli Alley. The Ericsson situation is murky. And perhaps for the first time in a long time, Spurs face Arsenal potentially as an underdog in the game, as a team that feels like it may be going through some struggles when Arsenal may be turning a corner. I, I mean, the Liverpool game aside, I think there's a lot of people now that want to see that Aubameyang, Lacazette, Pepe front three unleashed. And I think it's a tricky situation for Emery because obviously Spurs can still hurt you um, and, and you still have to be wary of them. But do you think it is time for him to unleash that front three and would you expect him to do that? Uh, two slightly different questions. Would I expect him to do that? <laughs> Fair enough, Not yeah. Sure. Would I like him to do that? Certainly. Um, and I think the, re- the real key to that working is getting the midfield balance right. In fact, I think the whole key to Arsenal working really is now and has been for a while that that midfield area. And I, I think that, you know, a lot of people have have teared a few hairs out over the last few seasons just with frustration that that getting that balance in that particular part of the field has been wrong, which affects what's in front of you and what's behind you. And I'm excited by the options that Arsenal have in the field right now, which feel quite different to recent years. Um, Joe Willett coming in looks absolutely fearless, I think is, is, is... relishing every opportunity and, and ha, you know, has no um, fear of any reputations. I think he'll go out at Anfield or he'd go out in the North London Derby and play the same as he would against a bunch of kids. He's got a great natural energy and positivity about him. Um, that's been a big addition. Danny Sabayo, like I just said, really interesting because he's, he's had one outstanding game, which had everyone drooling and one really difficult game. Uh, Lucas Torreira, I'm, quite fascinated by and it's it puzzles me somehow that he's a guy who hasn't quite kind of nailed down uh, a a dominant role as much as maybe we all expected in the Tottenham game last year when that was a big arrival moment for him Uh, you know you you remember the feeling and the emotions of of that goal everybody knew that that was that was that in, in an amazingly intense game and um you know, he was a cult hero and people thought, God, there's a there's a, a spirit and tenacity and uh, vivaciousness and aggression in coming from the heart of the team that really is important and came from him. But the second half of his season last year was, was tricky. I think he was so, so tired with a lot of factors um, as a part of that. But I, I, I would love for him to have a, a, an important season this year. Um but he, it still feels like maybe he has to earn some trust from Emery somehow. I'm, I'm not quite sure how that that's going to play out. But there's yeah. options and getting it right. Obviously, Jack, everybody knows the pros and cons there, and you know he 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 still can provide some important things to the team, even though there are there are things about his game that that might never feel quite right. Mm. Um, but getting Gwendouzi again. You know, has this fantastic energy that he brings to the team as well. Um, getting the, the the three right, if you are going to play a, a the front three of Pepe, Lacazette, and Aubameyang, is is key. Um, yeah. 
And I think if it, if it is right, then that's really scary for any team to contend with. Yeah. And, you know, the interesting thing with Torreira, I, I think circumstance can play a, a big role in careers. And the one challenge he has is, you know, flying off to Uruguay for international breaks and for summer tournaments is a real challenge. It means he gets back and starts his preseason late. That's what slowed him down uh, in his integration for us last season. It's what slowed him down this season, as far as I can tell, right? Didn't really have a preseason. Uh, this international break, he's going to fly off to North America. I, I believe he actually has a friendly against the United States. And it's those long-haul flights. It's those late returns. It's the tired legs that come back with him that I think make it hard for Emery to get him integrated early in the season and then throughout the season. So it is one of those challenges. I remember you'd, you know, when you have players that would go off to the African Cup of Nations back when it was played mid-season, you know, and that could be a real disruption for those players. And and I think when you have South American players or, or North American players, for that matter, like Pulisic at, Ch- at Chelsea, that that can be a challenge for a manager to, to keep them integrated and keep them important to the team. So we'll see how that develops. I think it's also easy to forget just how young he is. Um, still a young player in his own right and st- still adapting to the league and the country. But, you know, you mentioned Joe Willick. I, I think, obviously, his development is something people are keenly watching. I'm curious, you know, when you speak to people around the club and and just for your own opinion of him personally, have they or you or, or both of you, for that matter, been surprised by the the speed with which he's developed from someone who was maybe a fringe consideration for the first team, maybe not the star of the academy, to suddenly looking like the player who has taken the biggest leap from that group? Not that surprised, in fact. I think the, the, the close watches of, of the youth team and uh, of the under-23s last season were, were kind of uh, voicing quite strongly the, the the view, give him give him minutes, get him integrated. He's ready. Um, he is a, is a great story. He's the youngest of three footballing brothers. Um, they all went through Arsenal's academy, and uh, the you know the little kid has proved to be the biggest chip off the old block. If you like, he's uh, he was always kind of fancied to be the best of the bunch, and. Um, I think that even there's a, an interesting kind of concept that like the the dreaded Denis Suarez transfer uh, <laughs> um, money very badly spent. You know, there's obviously that that you know the transfer dealings have been very warmly received this summer, and indeed pretty much were last summer. But last January was fairly disastrous, uh, waste of cash, and I, there was definitely a debate within the club at the time. Um, whether to go for Denis Suarez in this case, or you know, to borrow the old Arsene Wenger phrase, if you do that, are you killing the opportunity for um, mm. someone like Joe Willock? And there are definitely some people who would have preferred that transfer not to have happened, and for Joe to have had um, moments integrating, you know, in the second half of last season could have made a big uh, difference. Yeah. A um, I think. It really was a, a sort of sign of what they hoped for him that when he came on in the in the Europa League final for Meza Erzil, and it seemed like this big indignity that you know the, this, the player of the stat, status of Meza Erzil would be coming off and replaced by a kid who had played like a handful of minutes in the Premier League up till that point. Um, but he's a great example of. You know, when players are at that kind of 18 to 21 year old age group, it's a critical point of their development. You know, things have to fall for you and you have to make it happen. And you can see the different routes that people are taking. So obviously Eddie and Katia is going off and, and is with Leeds and trying to make his way 
in in that regard because when you're looking at the front three of Arsenal you're just talking about how much game time are you going to get this year compared to being on loan at Leeds it's obviously going to be quite different um in you know recently Nelson had and Emil Smith Rowe had their loans last year in Germany and have come back and we'll see you know quite how their seasons develop or what their opportunities are they think very carefully about what they're doing with each young player Joe has come in had a, a fantastic uh, summer. I think he was the player who everybody thought had probably had the best preseason, if you like, yeah. at, in, mm-hmm. outside of all the established names. And he really seized his opportunity and made himself, you know, more or less undroppable for the start of this season. And that is entirely to his credit. Nobody handed him that on a plate. He just grabbed his chance and he he made himself pretty much indispensable for Emery for the start of the season. And in all of the games that he's played, I think his personal performance has been very strong. So he's put himself at the moment in a position where he has to be in the group, whether he starts or whether he's on the bench or whether he's on and off. um, He has to be in the group and I think he'll have plenty of minutes. And that's a, that's a, a great thing. And if there's a real meritocracy within the club, then you ask yourself the question, who deserves to play? If he deserves to play, he plays. Mm. When you look at the, the greatest talents that have come through at the club over the years, um, everybody who's old enough will remember Nicola Anelka at the age of 17 coming in and Ian Wright couldn't get games because Anelka was that good at 17 when Ian Wright was towards the end of his spectacular career. And then you see Cesc Fabregas come in and Patrick Vieira gets sold because at 17 years old, Cesc Fabregas was good enough for that to happen, uh, despite Vieira being the best midfielder I think I've ever seen at the club. Um, So, you know, if if you're young enough and you've really got it, you play. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's playing and he's he's taking his chance. And I think, you know, you mentioned Granite Xhaka and the one thing that I think appeals to people about Willock and certainly what little we've seen from Ceballos, although not his his best day at Anfield, um, Genduzzi to some extent and certainly Torreira is maybe a little more agility, athleticism, uh, technical skill with the ball at feet than we've seen from Xhaka. And I think for a modern midfield, it, it's hard to have those players that want to plant two feet in the ground and survey what's ahead of them and take their time to distribute long. So, you know, it gives us some options. I'll start to wrap up here and just really, really quickly. You mentioned Mesut Ozil, and it's crazy because he's gone from being the only name anyone wanted to discuss at the club to a name that doesn't necessarily come up. We've done a couple of podcasts since this season has started, and I, I can't remember his name being mentioned. Do you see him having a role this season? I mean, he still makes 350,000 pounds a week to play football for Arsenal. Do you have any sense of what that role might be and if there might be a role for him as soon as this Sunday? Um... Sunday would su- surprise me. Yeah. Uh, I guess there's a chance he might be on the bench, but I I think it's impossible he'll be in the starting lineup um, given how uh, you know his own um, summer was so desperately disrupted. Um, going forwards, it's a it's a story that is you know quite how it's gonna gonna be written is anybody's guess, but. Can you see a situation where, you know, if he's not sold and he's on this money and his obligations are to come to training and take part and so on and so forth, if he's not getting in the team uh, or even in the in the squad potentially, um, is he going to be a Europa League player? Is he going to be mm-hmm. playing in the 
League Cup games, and that you know that's going to be his his place this season. It's um, it's possible. Uh, it would it would be a, a a weird thing to to see. Um, I'm kind of sad for him if that's what's happening. You'd like to think that everybody is treated equally, and that if they justify playing, they play. Um, yeah. As usual, I think with Mesut Ozil, the story, you know, the story is a bit more complicated. And let's be honest, it never felt like at any point of last season, really, that the relationship between the manager and the player was was great. That it never really felt as if they suited each other beautifully and would be the perfectly placed to bring the best in each other. I think in, in in odd moments in games, you know, if there's not room for Meza Ozil to come in and be brilliant, that saddens me. Um, but you can see the way the team is evolving. You can see what they're focused on, a kind of high energy, um, slightly more uh, aggressive game. And it's we have to watch this space, but... Uh, you know, it's a strange old situation and it's one that is kind of unlike what you'd see in, in many other clubs, I think. But you've also got to factor in the, the, the situation that he found himself in uh, personally with um, with the attack. Yeah, and it's terrible. It, it, it's, it can be that it takes a long, long time for people to recover from, you know, difficult psychological sort of events. Um, so there's that to factor into and, and how he is and how he feels and how ready he is to be out there in front of 60,000 people or whatever. It's hard to say. He was at the game uh, against Burnley at the home game. He was there. It's not like he's hiding away. He's at training. He's taking part. He's not being difficult. He's kind of getting on with things. But it does feel like he's quite peripheral at the moment. And yeah, that's quite it, weird. It's so, it's so interesting. You know, we talked about circumstance with Torreira. And if you look at it, I feel for Ozil in, the, in this respect. You know, he, he's got a new manager, new situation last summer, and what happens? He suffers that trauma with the, the German national team where he really falls out with them, is scapegoated. There's suggestions of xenophobia and even racism associated with that that must have affected him emotionally, I would think. And then this summer, I thought he had an excellent preseason. I thought he looked more energetic, more invested in in the approach that we wanted to employ. He looked good ready for the season, and then that attack happens, obviously extremely psychologically damaging, and he hasn't been back since then. And so you look at two seasons that right right on the brink of a new season, something happens that damages him psychologically and, and maybe gets the season off on, on the absolute worst foot and, and could have repercussions for the remainder of the season. So we'll, we'll see. I'll let you go. I, I just want to ask real quick, do you have anything you're working on uh, for The Athletic right now that you're excited for us to look forward to or probably going to be a, an NLD summary after that? Uh, yeah, there'll be so there'll be something to do with the with the derby. <laughs> I've, I've got it. We mentioned Torreira earlier, and there's a piece I think probably going up tomorrow. I don't know when um, when this pod's coming out, but I guess it'll be Thursday uh, mm-hmm. uh, ab- about the Torreira situation and and you know the interest in 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 this particular player and how his career has evolved and continues to evolve at the club. Um, and yeah, there's a few bigger things I've got in a pipeline for further down the line. And, and that's, I guess, the beauty of this kind of work. Um, uh, uh, you know, when, when you've just spent a year kind of regurgitating or attempting to regurgitate Unai Emery press conferences, to be uh, given that time and space to go off and chase kind of different ideas and angles and take your time and 
you know, I'm always keen on a bit of nostalgia. So there's a bit of looking back at stuff and, uh, and we'll see how it goes, but I've got a few, a few ideas that hopefully will be, uh, will be fun to read. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they will be. And, and obviously you can read Amy's stuff at the athletic. And if you want to support the podcast and Amy, who of course you want to support, uh, once again, you can sign up at theathletic.com forward slash arsenal vision and, uh, you get a month free and then it's two fifty a month. It's two fifty. That's it. So if you want to support us and Amy and all the wonderful people writing for the athletic and all the great content there, go for it. A lot of questions about what content you get with that sign up, you get all of it. So it's not like you only get the the football stuff or you only get the US stuff. If you sign up at theathletic.com forward slash arsenal vision, you'll get all of it. You get the promo and you get give us a little love too, which isn't the worst thing in the world. Amy, I'll I'll let you go. Uh you got a lot of great colleagues over there. Did you ever think you'd have the colleague Rafa Benitez? I thought that was pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's uh, definitely um, put the cat amongst the pigeons. We've all got to up our game now. <laughs> you bet. Well, in any event, uh, definitely follow Amy on Twitter at AmyLawrence71. Uh, read her stuff at The Athletic. And and most importantly, um, you know, just make sure you get signed up. You'll love it. Amy, I, I want to thank you so much for coming back on. And, and hopefully we'll have a chance to speak to you again in the future. Definitely. Absolute pleasure. You bet. All right. Well, up the arsenal. We're going to take a break. Uh, When we come back, unfortunately, Clive and Paul are going to be here, but that's okay. Stay with us. We'll have more after this. Okay. We want to tell you about the new home of football writing, The Athletic. And this is a company that means a lot to me. I have been honored to have the chance to write for them for the past year. And it is one of the best sports websites that I have had the pleasure of using. It gives you a chance to get totally ad-free content that isn't clickbait, that isn't chasing advertising revenue. Some of the best writers in the world are there. When it comes to Arsenal, it's the best coverage of Arsenal now. You have writers like Amy Lawrence and David Ornstein and, of course, Gunnar Blog, James McNicholas as well. The app is fantastic. Uh, if you're driving along, it will read an article to you. Just read it to you, which I love. There's podcasts and videos and articles and fantasy sports. Plus, they cover everything. They cover all sports. So if you are uh, a fan of sports beyond just football, you're going to find world-class coverage of that too. Um, it's great wherever you're located. Obviously, they've just attracted phenomenal writers in the UK, but there's a great stable of fantastic journalists in the US as well covering all those sports. So uh, you want to support the pod and maybe give The Athletic a try? Go to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal Vision, theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal Vision, and check it out. You'll get a month free. Your subscription's $2.50 a month, which is nothing. And uh, when you go somewhere where you can just read an article and nothing pops up and nothing gets in your way and you can see the community there and see the quality of the content, I think you're really going to like it. So go there now, theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal Vision to sign up for The Athletic. All right. And now it is my great displeasure to have to introduce Clive and Paul after having spoken to Amy, but I'm going to do it anyway. Paul's on Twitter. Pause in my pants. Hello, pause. Uh-huh. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Hello. So I, I just want to tell you, dear listener, that while you are stuck listening to me, both Paul and Clive have the pleasure of the fact that apparently my internet is spotty and they can't really hear much of what I'm saying. So they have what we sometimes call the premium version of the podcast with my parts redacted, but you're stuck with me. So that's that. Hey, Amy was a delight to speak to, and now I'm going to speak to you guys. So um, first I'll start with you, Paul. How much of this this sandbagging bullshit do you buy that Ndombele is not fit, Norier's not fit, no no one's going to play, and Erickson hates Poch, and Poch hates Erickson, and Deli Alley is a, a drunk who doesn't play football anymore. Like, like are they are they all going to play? Is they, they're just going to show up and, and literally like Gareth Bale will start for them and and like they'll have Vandervart back and stuff. Like, are these guys going to play or are they really out? Well, well, I'm a bit of a sucker. 
as we know. So I, I've been just playing along, assuming it was true, but you might be onto something there. What was that thing I fell for on the internets, uh, on the Discord the other day? I thought somebody knew some. Oh, somebody knew uh, uh, John Mulaney. <laughs> yeah, you are he a made some one. comment about how he was mates with John Mulaney, and I went for a hook, line, and sinker and tried to talk him into getting him on the podcast. At least, uh, at least your heart was in the right place. All right, all right. Enough, enough about that though, because that that's not what we're here for. Yeah. I I want you so to tell me. I ha- I, yeah. All right, let, let's go through them one at a time. And Dombele, they say he's not going to play. You believe it? I think it. Well, he's touch and go, isn't he? Um, uh, so do I think he'll play? Well, he's going to. He's going to need some level of excitement if Ericsson is or isn't. I think if he's got Ericsson, then maybe he won't be quite as worried about getting Ndombele in there. What about Serge uh, Aurier? Oui, Serge Aurier. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen him for a while. Um, I wonder if he'll come up with another solution. I don't know what he's going to do. Yeah. Um, but we haven't seen him for a while. I hope he plays him. I mean, I, I got to level with you. I hope he doesn't because, Clive, there's talk of Eric Dyer playing fullback and, and I'm literally <laughs> having Pepe wet dreams over here. I mean... Uh, Given that there could be no Ndombele, no Serge Aurier, no Deli Alley, do you think the only downside to maybe Ndombele being out and Aurier as well is that he will go ahead and just start Ericsson even if he doesn't want to? Um, the Ericsson thing is is interesting. Will he start him? I, I, I really don't know on him. I do think they will start Musa Sissoko at right back potentially Works and bring Dyer into... <laughs> into centre midfield. Um, they've weakened themselves at fullback. If you look at the where they used to be with Walker, and obviously Trippier had his golden patch, and then now they're with Carl Water, Walker Peakers, and then you've got Aurier, who's a bit of a loose cannon, and then you're really into going to a back you know, back three potentially and, and playing Aurier, except they can't go to a back three because they're up a centre-half. Tonkin has been questioned about his fitness. There are rumours that he's questioned tactics of the manager and questioned his authority. <laughs> he's been left out of the squad and hasn't played a minute. So if he comes in and plays, he will not be sharp. The same for Aurier, he will not be sharp. And Dombele has ha- got an injury and I don't think he will play. If he does play, he won't be sharp. They've got winks in centre mid. Um... They can go to Oliver Skip in centre mid, um, but also you know it depends. You know they've got a few options, and they've got all their forward players fit apart from Deli Ali, who's too busy poisoning himself with alcohol, affecting his muscles. So, but it's it's Arsenal, and you know the way these things go. A derby game, people people are um, they're on their toes. They're ready to go. So, um, And even Kyle Walker-Peters is not definitely out, so he could solve the whole question by just playing. So, Yeah. I think um, the Spurs, the whole Spurs conundrum is, 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 is very, very interesting. And I do think um, I've often felt they've had more reward than they actually deserve. They get maximum reward for their for the efforts that they put in. And I think people are very quick to crown them as this team that's right there is sitting in Liverpool. And I haven't felt it. You know, I felt, I predicted we'll finish third this year. I think we are the third best team. We're definitely the third best team in 2019 so far this season. And we've got issues which we discuss every single week. I do think there was a period when Pochettino was flavour of the month. And I don't think that's quite now. Just, you know, 
I just had a quick look at the Spurs sort of news now feed, and it's quite interesting to hear them talk about, you know, is there an issue with Poch? Is he losing control of dressing room? Has the moment, you know, has he reached his ceiling after five years? And it really is a critical time for their club. And, and we know all about this. Reach a Champions League final, move into a new ground. It's not easy. You reach the, the absolute heights emotionally. And how you recover from that and get back to BAU is quite difficult. Right? So um, the next steps are going to be very interesting to watch. But, you know, one game can change a lot. right? And, and we need not. to tip them over rather than... Get their fire going for them. Step, step on their next ball. It literally is one of those moments, right, where for the Stamp next... Stamp on their weeks, bollocks, Clive. Oh, okay, exactly. okay. All right, this is next, a friendly neighborhood podcast. Come on, I mean, not with them. Let, let me ask you something, though. All right, Paul, what about what about us? Let's talk about us, because that's what we know. Um, so I think I'd like to say I feel I've been very measured in my analysis of Arsenal, that I've had good control over my emotions and my opinions. Mm-hmm. I'm I think, trying to learn from you. I whether, really am. Yeah, well, really whether you've been in the Discord following my composed, discreet, circumspect approach to communicating about the club, or you've been listening to the podcast and hearing me try to, to, to break things down in a logical, sensible way, dispassionate way, you might say, do you think it's fair to say, looking at this pragmatically, that if he doesn't start Aubameyang, Lacazette, and Pepe, we riot? Yeah. Yeah, why not? Okay, good. I'm doing that thing where you agree with the lunatic, but really what you're trying to do is talking back from the ledge. Um, I guess it all depends on just how fit Lacazette is, because otherwise you definitely start with the three at this stage. Um, but but there's so many... I mean, we talked about the Spurs lineup. I've almost as many questions on the Arsenal lineup, but in a good way. We have lots of options. We We may have our favourites, and we may have players we don't want to see start, but man, we've a whole bunch of options and midfield gets really complicated. Yeah. Well, so what what would you do? <laughs> I have no idea on midfield. I, I think this is going to... I, I reminded myself of the game last year. These, thing, these games are always fucking nuts and don't seem to go to any kind of plan. We went up a goal with a great goal. We were battering them. Then they get a penalty from... Mr. Riley, uh, actually, I think that's after uh, a goal off a free kick that uh, Leno lets in and it is near post, and suddenly we're 2-1 down, and we have no right to be 2-1 down. We were battering them, and we should have scored another four, but we didn't. Um, and then we get a jammy goal from Lacazette, and then we have the fourth goal is Torreira out of the blue, which was a great goal, but you can't exactly bank on that. So this, this is about... Uh, there'll be a lot of tactical aspects, but you're going to need a strong physical team because they're going to come at us mm. and they're going to feed off that energy. Um, I'm assuming Chak is going to start. Uh, I'd want Terraria in there. So there's two of your three. Who's the who's the third if you start with those two? You 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 know who doesn't want Genduzi in there? Um, Sabalas for to provide some creativity and spark to the front three. So I have no idea what we're going to do. I think we're, again, likely to start with this playing out from the back and stick with it. I mean, if we lived with lived with it at Anfield, we'll do it here, which means Spurs will be looking to recreate something of what Anfield did in our, in our, uh, in our third with pressurizing and getting at us. So you probably want Sabalas, in theory, to play out. But 
we didn't like what he did against Anfield. So I don't really. Uh, I'm. I don't think we have a clue what we'll do in terms of the midfield three. Yeah, I mean, Clive. Before we get to midfield, I, w- I want to row it back to to the front three, though. I mean, Spurs do look like they they are vulnerable at the back now. I'm not hugely convinced in Lloris, although I know some people think he's pretty good. They definitely have some issues back there, though. I, I don't think Poch ever goes with a back three. I could be wrong about that, but if he does, they'll get annihilated uh, down the wings and in the channels. But he, whatever formation he goes with and whatever group of defenders he picks, if we get past the press, they're going to be in a lot of trouble. So do you think that Emery will just suck it up and go for the the pal up front, the the Pepe Aubameyang is that front line? I really hope he does. I can explain Liverpool away quite easily, and we did that at length this week. Um, but I, I think the whole Arsenal world is looking forward to, to see this three and see what it looks like. And home games is where you have the opportunity to do it. I think it could be the birth of it, and we're, I just hope he goes with it. Um, the, the balance looks so interesting. The the fact they can all switch positions, they're not so not so. I'll call Liverpool front three static because they're not, but we can all picture what sides they are and what their roles are. I think Arsenal could be a lot more flexible, going left and right and central. And people switching positions, going to any of them, I think that will cause problems. They have a really complementary set of skills and a good set of speed and power and dribbling and carrying and creativity. Oh, come on, man. We all know it. We all know this. It, the potential is there. The new player that's come on board in Pepe, we have all can see that he's on his way. He doesn't seem to have any fear in him. Didn't seem to have any sort of inferiority complex about him. I, I, I want to see him score. I think that will just take the roof off the ground. Um, so, yeah, I hope he don't goes for it. I think it's important that he does. We've invested in these players. There's a lot of money amongst those three players. They're super talented. Play them. Just mm. play them. Let's find out. Just play them. We will not lose this game for playing three forwards. Mm. Just play three in. Three forwards. Uh, my three in would be Shaka, uh, Guendouzi, and Torreira. I'd play three in that way, and I would control that middle space, and I would let my three fours go and win the game. Spurs are quite physical; they're quite a running team. They need to have that ability to take the ball off their lack of technicians. If they play Dyer and Winks in centre mid, well, we can press them. We can press Dyer off the ball very, very easily. And so we have a real opportunity to get it to the areas that we want to be in. So I hope I hope he goes for it. I hope he goes why, for it. Why Shaka over Sabayas? I mean, look, Sabayas had a bad game at Anfield. I, I fully acknowledge that. I think this is a different kind of situation. Both he and Willick, I think, have, have largely been pretty good this season. Willick maybe not so much at Newcastle, and Sabayas maybe not so much at, at Liverpool. But you'd still go for Shaka over either of those two? I, I, I tell you, mate, it's, it's important. You know, I know... I don't want to sound like a TV pundit, but experience really does mean something. Right? It means something. It, having the ability to be in these pressure cooker environments and react in the appropriate way. And we know Shaka doesn't always react in the appropriate way, but it's not down to lack of experience. Maybe it's down to stupidity. And um, 
And <laughs> How do you really feel? <laughs> yeah, if you check his stats bomb radar, he's he scores pretty low on the whole stupidity thing. Yeah, but he <laughs> That's why they call it stats bomb IQ. Uh, I wanna see I wanna see that on Scott's database, right? Mm-hmm. But it's true he has these and he has these moments where he tries to solve all the problems himself and his body can't do it, right? So um and he just panics and so I just feel <clears throat> excuse me, it's not for my own comfort. It's for the team's comfort. I think he offers a level, level of leadership and availability. Uh, I watched this Liverpool game more than any other game I've watched in my Arsenal life. And the amount of times he was available for a pass, you know, just a short line, always able to see him quietly available, working hard to be available to get to help somebody else. It's the sort of thing that players That's really like. That's the great like. thing about him being immobile, immobile, Clive. You know exactly where he's going to be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you say that. But it's about, it's about lines, isn't it, Paul? In, in a game yeah. where, where inches almost count, it literally is inches that count, to be on the line so the player can see you on your strong side so you can move it on again, it's no you know, he was top passer in that game. In a game where we were dominated, he was still top passer. That's a level of something that we can't just put on the sidelines. You know, and play somebody that could do well. Just had a ten out of ten game and a one out of ten game. That's managers don't do that. I mean, to, to be fair, in the Burnley game where Shaka wasn't available, Ceballos led us in passing, and he did it at whatever it was, ninety-two percent, despite you know a lot of progressive passes and and a lot of uh, take-ons and and pressures. So I mean. I realize he just came off of a a bad game, but... He was wonderful. I I look at his risk management. We've got Spurs at home. We want to win. If we don't win, we have two weeks of international break to absolutely rip the the manager apart, the club apart. Who would do that, though, Clive? Come on. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, And I just think... If I'm the manager, I'm picking the guy that's probably going to be my captain for the season, and I'm picking him, and I'm giving him responsibility to lead us to victory, right? So, but let's see what he does. Mm. That's just my view. Can I say a quick word? Please, please do. A very quick word on Sabayos, just because I like to prove I can actually say his name (laughs) roughly right, Um, in that you got to have particular... Uh, sympathy for him in the Anfield game because he was applying for a job that basically expired about five minutes into the game. I mean, what was his position, right? He was the tip of a diamond that basically collapsed because we were driven back and found himself in all sorts of weird positions. He's never really played for, I guess he may have played it somewhere else, but he hasn't played it for Arsenal. So, I, you know, how much can you... Ju- so, I, I... My... Love and expectations for Sabias are undiminished, but he might need a little breather after that game. He might need to come off the br- the the bench and come on after 60, 70 minutes. Yeah. And the interesting thing with our lineup is if we play Pal up front, who's coming on to to uh, support to tag team into the attacking lineup? It's who? It's is it? Do we look on Mkhitaryan as an attacker? Is it Nelson? We don't have much after 70 minutes, especially if, if Lacazette doesn't have 90 minutes in him. So Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on how his ankle's feeling. I think the fact of the matter is, though, you know, wa- wanting to have something in reserve on the bench should not trump wanting to have your best players on the pitch. I hear you. Um, I've never totally understood the mentality like, well, don't start him because you need to leave something on the bench. Like, I, I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I get what you're saying. It doesn't leave us a lot of ways to change it. But I actually do think that 
having Mkhitaryan, for example, or even Nelson is a way to change it because you can go to true wide players on either side of like an Aubameyang if Lacazette has to come off as opposed to more of a, a false nine with, with Aubameyang on one side and Pepe on the other. Let's. Um, I, I hear you. I could see Aubameyang down the middle and then Nelson on no. the left. And we played Aubameyang up front at home to them last time round, if I remember right. Yeah. But I, I, I don't disagree with you. I'm just thinking no. out loud. Would we Certainly. start... If Lacazette barely has 45 minutes in him or maybe 70 minutes in him, will they bring him on? Will they plan him to be first sub or something with a Bamiyang through the middle? That's a good question. Look, I want to bring something up that we haven't talked about in a while. I think we've done, I'm looking here, I think we've done, what is it, maybe 75 podcasts since the season started? At least it feels like that. Um, (laughs) And (laughs) um, you're definitely getting your your minutes worth. Um, You know who hasn't been discussed a whole lot is Mesut Ozil. He came up uh, in my conversation with Amy, and I was like, when was the last time we spoke about him on this podcast? Paul, stay with you just for a second. I mean, it is kind of crazy. If we think back to summer, it's not that long ago we were saying he looked a little bit revitalized and really energized this summer. And then, unfortunately, kind of like last summer where the German national team thing was a, a disaster from emotionally, he's got this horrible attack that happens and, and a huge psychological wound that he's got to get over right at the start of the season. But he did have a great preseason, and he did look like he was ready to maybe fight for a place and, and get get in line and, you know, march to the, the beat of Emery's drum, whatever that beat may be. And I'm curious if you feel he has a role to play in this game, and if not this game, any game, and when, and where. That's the extent of the question. <laughs> Paul. Who's that aimed Yeah, at yeah, me? yeah, that's back. Um, yep, right back at you. I Yeah, I'm expecting that he won't start, and he probably won't come on as a sub. I'm... Uh, I, I'm going to assume the more positive version, which is he's just buying him a little time, and I mean he, he's he hasn't really used Kalasinac either. He used him for ten or twenty minutes in was it the Burnley game, um, and we have a crying need for a left back, so he hasn't been used either. So it, it may just have had a lot more impact, especially I mean Kalasinac is as I understood it sent his wife or girlfriend home. Uh, I'm not sure that's the case with Ozil, so it may just be having a a significant impact. And he's going to, he's looking to the international break to yeah. buy everybody a little decompression time, and that's when I would expect to see Ozil being reintroduced. This will be such an intense game um, that I don't know that this is the game you reintroduce Ozil. But I mean, he has talked him up, so I could well see him on the bench. Uh, um, maybe he plays a role a little later on in the game. He just has to manage his mentality for 20 minutes, not 90 minutes that way. I mean, it shouldn't all be about money, but at 350,000 pounds a week, it really feels like you have to have this person as a part of your squad. I mean, is this a time to at least get him in the team, Clive, and you know, have him on the bench, have him potentially available, You know, maybe if, call on him if needed? <laughs> He could be on the bench, but I, I sort of agree, with Paul. There, I would, I would cold storage him. Why, why bring him into the his first game of the season against you know the the, the most intense game of the season? It just doesn't make sense. You got people we're, like we're Willock. not short of midfielders, are we? Yeah, we got Willock, Gwendozi. You know, whether you play Gwendozi as a third midfielder or Sabias, I don't mind which one. Gwendozi's had a lot of minutes; it's no problem. Um, we got Willock there, who's obviously hasn't put hardly put a foot wrong. You know, he may feel that he's Mkhitaryan. going to be starting. We've got Mikatarian, who, you know, Torreira's obviously, for me, Torreira's knocking that door down loudly. 
we're good. We're good. And we, we go two forwards, one in behind late in the game or a Bamiang down the middle with two different wide men. We got those options covered. We got the base options covered. And we got defenders getting fitter by the by the minute, so we're we're in a good place at mm. the moment. I sort of that just concerned me slightly because a lot of these games we're the ones that sort of walk into them slightly underdogs. It always gets me um, upset, and I think the players get upset and we react. But I will say there's a lot of uh, quiet optimism amongst the the fans and amongst the watching journalists and pundits that they can see that Arsenal are on a different curve. And Spurs, if you look at the curve they're on, take aside the Champions League wins, which they had, and obviously getting to finals a great achievement. But that was slightly fortuitous, in my in my opinion. And, and that's covered up a lot of cracks, right? So if you read, again, I, I read some of their stuff today, and they're talking about, you know, the things that we used to talk about. Is the training correct? They're getting too many injuries. They're questioning Pochettino's training methods. Is he thrashing the players? Are the players buying into his tactics? You know, is Levy up, I don't know, pricing these players too high so they can't be sold? And that's causing Pochettino a problem. I mean, these are all things we, we recognise, right? We've, we've been here, haven't we, with the, the injuries to key players at the wrong moments. And it's all part of the growing pains of being a, a big club with expectations that Spurs have never really had. And expectations are, are now going to weigh upon them. And these players have seen the promised land of the Champions League final. And they, I just don't see a situation where you can have Christian Eriksen on 65 grand a week and Callum Chambers and El Nenny about five grand behind him. It just doesn't make sense. And that's and that's going to that's going to manifest in dressing room unrest. Clive, you, you missed it on the Schadenfreude pod over on Patreon, but, but Paul made a suggestion that I loved, which is that we're sending our players down to a Spurs bar to to, to open up their paychecks next to the Spurs players. Every Friday <laughs> Every afternoon. Friday when the checks come out. And Callum Chambers sewing, rocks in with his, his with, paycheck. With his paycheck. <laughs> sits, <laughs> next, sits next to Erickson and is like, oh, oh, that's your check? Oh, look, look at my check. Oh, that's <laughs> nice. <interesting. laughs> nice, yeah. Hey, look, we're on the same, we're on the same amount, buddy. Erickson. Hey, I'm Callum Chambers. Nice to meet you. Um, so, Paul, let's, a uh, couple of things. So, first of all, I think it's, it's almost a certainty that we'll start with the back four with Nacho Monreal at left back, but it does sound like Nacho Monreal is going to leave. And I was under the impression that the window closed before the game, but I guess because the first is on a Sunday, it actually closes Monday. Do you see him starting this game and then leaving right before the window closes? And how do you feel about the decision to do that? I know they've, I guess, moved Bellerin and Tierney's recovery up. They're now saying back sometime in September instead of October for full training. Do you think that, it's fine to let Nacho go, or do you have a concern about it? I have a lot of concern about it, but if there's some logic to it, then maybe. Uh, I mean, we've just heard about the improved uh, outlook prognosis for Tierney and Co. today. So when we were when we were uh, belly aching about it yesterday on the Discord, it was thinking that uh, Tierney would be at least another month or two, and you know who knows, right? And I I, I think the who knows part still applies i mean it could take him a while to get up to speed he could have issues it could take a while uh before he becomes bulletproof so it seems a weird one uh but if they're optimistic on tyranny um and then uh, on the other hand the other weird part of it is we keep playing nacho 
even though we're desperately trying to sell them instead of Kalasinach, and that's why I, I kind of hope that it's a weird hope, but I kind of hope it's just, again, the psychological impact of getting caught in a knife fight in the streets of London a couple of weeks ago, and he just needs that extra week or two. Because if they actually think he's 100% and we still don't want to play him in the North London Derby, even though he's, uh, at least on paper, uh, co-competitor for the left-back space, that's weird. If we're keeping a natural around for one extra game after we've sold him because we don't trust our existing left-back option, that would be pretty worrying that's a really good point actually i mean like we're selling a guy we know he's going the guy who's going to replace him when he goes is not trusted enough to start this game the day before the other guy goes potentially putting the whole move at risk like that's not a glowing show of confidence in the other guy what i will say is it gives you two weeks of international break unless he's he's probably going away but i was going to say to to work with him as a fullback, the other thing is too. Let's be honest. The fixtures right after the international break are not the worst, um, and and this goes to actually integrating Ozil as well. I mean, when you've got Sheffield United coming up after the break, and admittedly they've been a lot better than people expected, but they're not Spurs and they're not Liverpool. Um, you know, maybe Mesut Ozil, who sticks around for training for two weeks because he doesn't go away with his country, winds up getting into the team. Whereas a guy like Torreira, who's got to go all the way to North America, I think he plays the U.S. men's team actually. You know. He he probably is not going to make it back for those games and be starting right after the international break. Clive, one thing that I think is interesting, in terms of the preparation for this game, Spurs come off a loss at home to Newcastle. Um, we come off a loss away at Anfield, but we've probably just played the single most intense, physically stressful, mentally trying game of the entire season that we'll have all season long, even maybe over City, just in terms of the smothering press that Liverpool applied and the extent of time we had to focus and concentrate and sit in our defensive third. Do you think that the intensity of the stress and pressure we faced against Liverpool will make our decision-making just that bit quicker and make us feel just that, like we have that little extra beat of time against Spurs versus maybe having played a team with a different strategy? Is that, is that a big advantage playing a team like Liverpool who pressed us so hard right before Spurs who will probably try to do at least a version of that? That's a great question, and I, I I agree. I think it's a great preparation for Spurs. I mean, for me, the stars are aligning too too much, and that concerns me. <laughs> I think I think um, Liverpool game is that Liverpool game probably one of the most interesting games I can mm. ever remember mm. um, because of the um, it's what's so beautiful about football, right? We can all watch the same thing and all think completely differently about it. And I hope it never changes too much and becomes too sanitized where people try to create an, a normalcy of their own about decisions, etc. Because that that perception of a game is the key, is the beauty of the game. And um and we all we all make those perceptions from our own structures and how we've been brought up and what and what our football experience and background is. And it, it feeds into Spurs wonderfully, wonderfully. And I, I just feel I've had this feeling since probably even pre-season that the team is improving. And I'm not worried about the pace of improvement because I can see things structurally. I can see things individually. And seeing Pepe come in particularly has really, you know, been quite impressive. Sabayos, so okay, he had a rough time at Anfield, but who doesn't? Um there's 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 real potential there, 
And I think there's now a, a, a real thirst to see that realise. And if it does happen at the weekend, I think that's going to be a wonderful confidence boost for us this season. I think that puts us into a real uh, points accumulation phase up till Christmas, where I think we see a lot of players come back to some level of fitness. We have the competitions to get them fit in, like the Europa League and the, and the Carabao Cup. So we have the fixtures to rotate and get people back into shape for the pre-Christmas period. And then let's, and let's see where we are come to the end of the year. And I, I do think it's important that we have serenity within the club. And I, I, really do, I really want us to win this game because I want us to be positive for the next two weeks. I don't want us to be, you know, dragging up the old messages like Spurs are doing right now about their manager. I don't want us to see go down that route because I think it'd be negative. I think it'll slow us down. I think it's very important that we stay on the right trajectory, which I feel that we're on. And if we do it well and we and we and we win well, we win with a nice style. I think you know, there'll be a lot of positivity, not just from beating Spurs, but directly what's happened in the summer with the transfers, the arrival of key people into the club. I, I think we need a statement win to say yes, I am. It is good. I believe it. It is good, and it's going to get better. And I think that's why this weekend so important. Well said, Paul. I want to give you a chance to just address that too. I mean, I think in in sports, one of the hardest things to do can sometimes be prepare for an opponent that has a very unique approach that is particular to them. Not to say that a press is particular to any team. There are lots of teams that do it now, but the way Spurs do it is more intense and more difficult than most of the teams out there. And they've been very committed to it over a number of years now. I think what Liverpool did to us is a pretty close facsimile in terms of the intensity of it, at least. I, you know, I'm not tactically astute enough to know the slightly different ways they may trigger that press, but certainly the intensity. So, do you think it is a lucky break, almost getting to play a game that that feels like a a practice and preparation at the highest level for what we might face uh, at the Emirates? Yeah, I think it's perfect. I think it's like listening to a podcast at 1.5 speed, and then you turn it down to like 1.2 or one, and you're like, man, I have so much time to take this in. And I think uh, we'll feel like we've decompressed when we when we come back from Anfield and play the game with our own crowd behind us and that energy working for us. Uh, th- there's no way, there's nothing Spurs can do in terms of their pressing that will feel more than 75% of what we experienced in the first half against Anfield or at Anfield. Um, and I think that's that's a really... Uh, lucky break that those are we got our defeat at Anfield out of the way a lot of clubs are going to face that and we come back with quite a few positives in many ways from Anfield to take on Spurs with the the wind in our sails I think uh, with the Emirates behind us and uh, yeah I think I mean it still leaves the challenge that I think we're going to stick to playing out from deep um, which will potentially suit uh, at least two of our three attackers. And it still means that we've yet to solve the challenge of how we get the ball to them on a more regular basis, mm. whether it's Luis. That's, so there's a, there's that whole middle piece that we, part of the tactic worked at Anfield, but 
part of it was fairly rudimentary, which is get the bloody ball up there some way. We didn't really have a reliable supply line and we didn't really get to practice that at, An at Anfield. So that'll be the interesting transition. But then uh, I think we're going to have much more time to, to work. It'll be interesting to see if Sabalas gets pulled back in um, from the start, or at least he's the first change at halftime uh, to start helping us with that and get Pepe and Aubameyang going. But I think that's the missing piece we didn't get from Anfield. Well said. Hey, is someone so bored of the podcast that's actually on the podcast that they're listening to music while you're talking? Possibly. Was that you, Clive? Maybe did you think nope. you were muted and you're just listening? You weren't nope, listening to music? Me. Paul, someone nope. in your house listening to music? Possibly. Possibly. I'll have I, a word with... I hear with, it. I have, you know, like you did that thing with... Uh, Andrew Ars blog with a, a group of people for your podcast over the summer. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. in LA. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I got a little version of that going on here. Oh good. Well, that that's perfectly conducive to recording a podcast. So good. Yeah. You you flog the people who need to be flogged, and in the meantime, I will uh, speak to Clive. Look, as we start to wrap up here. I think we have to start to look to how you see the patterns playing out. So let's get into a little bit of prediction time. First of all, I want, to nail, I want you to nail your colors to the mast. What lineup do you think he will go with? Not the one you want, the one you anticipate him selecting. Okay, so I do think Nacho will start. So the back five picks itself. Um, it was Luis and Socrates and, and Maitland-Niles. And I think that's critical we have that because I think my worry is... Son and, and Lucas Moura pinging into holes when Kane drops into when he drops deep. So that's my that's my concern. Um, the midfield three, I hope, I, I I can't see him not starting Torreira. It's a derby. It's a competitive game. I don't think they're technically strong in centre mid. We need a Bresso in there. Um, I think Shaka will play, and I think. Gwendozi may play, but I'm I'm fifty fifty in Gwendozi or Sabias. And I think if we play the three fours, it would be interesting if he's going to play the three fours in the four three three or a four two three one and and have a, a ten in behind them and really a lazy active ten that drop deeps and goes anywhere he likes. So if he does that then your double pivot is Torreira and, and Shaka and then Tobias is free and then you have your three fours putting them back. Right. So mm -hmm. that could easily work. Right. So and I and that's what I would do. So probably Tobias steals in. Um just because we're at home. If we was away then I would have three in in like a Man City V and then have three up. But as we're at home, I think Tobias may sneak in a four two three one which morphs into a four three three really, really quickly. Yeah. I, I think that's a good possibility. And how do you see the pattern of play developing? I mean do you think that we will control possession in this game? You think it'll be... I, I mean, we played the diamond against them away last season. I'm We played the back three against them at home, so sort of hard to compare. I, I, yeah. I have a hard time seeing us do that again. To be fair, uh, I think it was the second half where we won the game at home and we switched to the diamond for the second half, didn't we? Correct. So, so is, Correct. Yeah. do you see the pattern of play, or at least the, the approach, trying to mirror what we did in, that, in those games? I think he'll... If he went diamond again, um, it'll be a. You could, you could almost pick the same team, and it'd be almost would be a bit more with say Torreira in for Willock, and the atmosphere where we are, it could be offensive. Do you see what I mean? It could be massively offensive. So the system is not the not the killer; it's how you play it. I hope Lacazette's fit. He looked angry last week, and I hope when he comes on, he he shows people that he's the man, particularly at home. And so I do see Lacazette starting. 
I do see us. I do think, though, Elliot, the back three may reappear after the international break. I think we'll have sent the halves back in shape. Why are you going to hurt me like that? <laughs> I just think it's a good way to, to get people back into shape. And um, we've got sent the halves to get into shape. We've got Kalashnik, you know, while we're waiting for Tierney to come in. And then if Tierney does come in, why not start as a wing-back rather than a full-back? Find your feet. He hasn't played a lot of football in 2019. So find your feet as an offensive player and we'll put three centre-backs behind you. And that allows us not to have three up top and rest one of the strikers, which we have to protect. We can't just play these three strikers every single week because we've got the Europa League as well. The Europa League and three at the back, again, it allows us to you know, look at things like Nelson at wing back, for example, and things like that, which allows us to just use players in the squad and keep the back door shut. So I do think the three at the back will will come into play. And particularly at home, we where you're literally taking out a, a defender. And I, I do think it's going to be interesting to see how we use David Luiz as, as that central defender in the three at the back. And I just think to get players healthy and fit, that is a good system to use to make sure we don't lose our structure. And so um, I see that happening after the international break for sure. Paul, you got a prediction for not, again, not what you would like, but what you think he will do? Uh, so I think we'll more likely than not start with Pal up front. And I think the midfield three will be Chaka, Ganduzi, and maybe Willock. Chaka, mm. Ganduzi, and Willock. Hmm. Yeah, all right. I, I might as well. Which, which Willock pu- pushed up a little bit, but basically part of a midfield three. Hmm. I, I might as well pick my lineup. Not that anyone cares what I'm picking, but let's go ahead and do it anyway. Uh, I think it will be the back four as it has been all season uh, with Leno and goal, obviously. I don't think he'll just randomly start Martinez. Uh, I think it will be Pal up front. So, again, not to just be cringe about it. That's Pepe, Aubameyang, and Lacazette. And I think in midfield, he will go for... This is the tough one, isn't it? Mm. I think he will go for Willick, Ganduzi, and Torreira. Mm. He'll drop Chaka? I think he's going to really? drop Chaka, yeah. Um, if, you, if you had to bet, you'd bet... I think he's going to drop Chaka. That's brave. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I'm giving him a lot of faith. I'm putting a lot of faith in the manager here. Um, you know what, though? I... I don't think he's going to drop both Shaq and Ceballos. I think I think he's going to pick Ceballos. <laughs> so, back, so I think he'll pick Ceballos, Genduzi, and Torreira. Yeah, nah. that's the midfield. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. Um, you know what? Rubbish. I'd like to see it. I would really like to see it. I would too. I, 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 that's why I'm picking it because that's that's the future right there, right? But, <laughs> yeah. um, but it's not going to happen, mate. And I, I think, look, Willick has been very, very good. And everybody's been laughing at me that I'm going to lose the bet I had with Paul, which I probably am, about Premier League starts. But yes. maybe it is just time where Emery's going to... to I mean, there's it's five players for three spots. And it's hard to say who the two are that are on the outside. I mean, I think we can clearly say that Ganduzi is not on the outside. He's in. I don't yeah. know that you can confidently name the other two who are definitely in. Uh, the only ever presence this season have been Willock and Ganduzi. Now, that to be fair, that's because Shaka was injured one game. I wonder if Ceballos' struggles under pressure will weigh on his mind in picking this team, but I still think he'll drop Shaka. So let's see how it goes. Let's get some score predictions real quick. Clive, what do you think the outcome will be? 
Man, you know me. I, I think we win every game. Um, <laughs> I think it'll be three-one. We'll win this game. Mm. Uh, I'm not. I, I, I'm. I'm worried that I'm not worried. But do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's bothering me. I really think we're going to smash them. What about so that concerns me? What about you, Paul? Three-one. I'd be worried if we hadn't just played at Anfield. With I, I'm with Clive in that too much seems to be lining up for us. But I think we'll be pretty real going into this game. Three-one. I'm going to say 5-2 Arsenal. Okay. The Derby's always a crazy one. It, it really is. It's always a crazy one. There's no way we'll score five goals from our four shots. <laughs> to be fair, that's right. We, we'd have to break our record for shots in a game to have five goals. You do make Leave a very spreadsheets. Very Leave them spreadsheets there. alone, you two. Yeah, Stop this, looking at that I didn't, it was It was Paul who did it. It was Paul who did it. Look, uh, let's face it. Any uh, This entire podcast was headed downhill after the Amy section anyway. So if anybody's still listening to this by now, uh, shame on you. Um all right. Well, I think that's a good place to leave it. There's, there's going to be plenty to break down after that. Tim will be back on after that. Um, we may have some some fun stuff uh, for patrons as well in the in the following days after the the derby, including a rewatch episode. So. Lots of good stuff going on. Don't forget, if you want to support us and The Athletic, if you've been thinking about it and you're just desperate to read Rafa Benitez, who is now somehow a writer for The Athletic, which is kind of wild, uh, but also Amy and James and David Ornstein and all that, uh, theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal Vision. You support us, you support them, you get half off, 250 a month, not too bad. Uh, of course, we'd love to have you on the Patreon, but like I always say, if you can't do it, don't do it. No big deal. Um, if you can, great. We love you either way, and we're just thrilled that you're here. And we're all in this together, and it's Derby Day on Sunday, and that, that is the most important thing. So up the arsenal. Paul's on Twitter. Pause in my pants. Thanks, Paz. Clive's on Twitter. Clive AFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter. Yankee Gunner gives a five-star review and write nasty things about anyone but me because I have a very fragile ego that is easily damaged, and I'm a very emotional individual. Uh, but... No time for emotion now, my friends. As I said in the intro, those filthy, disgusting neighbors are coming to our house for dinner Sunday night, and we have to poison them. The analogy doesn't work great, but you get the idea. And anyway, we're all in it together, so let's hope it's a wonderful Derby Day. Hope you enjoy it wherever you are around the world. Up the Arsenal, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10 Spurs nil. No.